Greetings, church. My name is Jason, one of the elders at Church in the Square. Would you please open up your Bibles? Meet me in Romans chapter 3, verse 27. Uh, if you've got an old school Bible, you flip it around on the pages, uh, go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, you'll hit Acts, and then you'll get to, the Ro to Romans. If you hit 1st and 2nd Corinthians, go back to the left. Romans chapter 3, verse 27, you can always type it in as well. Uh, into one of those devices. Um, we're going to begin by considering Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were our first parents, um, the first couple created in the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the scriptures. And so as such, Adam and Eve inform our collective Christian imagination more than any other, because through their creation and story, we see the untarnished nature and value of all of humanity. They were unique. They, they alone existed in a world without sin. They alone lived with God without separation. They uh, reflected God in their nature. They related to God. They represented God in their world without hindrance. So it's not surprising that God bestows this special favor. He speaks blessing over them. See, among all of creation, all of the good that he created, everything God created was good. But when it came to humanity, when it came to Adam and Eve, God said, this is very good. See, in the garden, God bestows glory upon humanity. The psalmist captures it well in Psalm 8, verses 4 and 5. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him, yet you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. See, as image bearers, human beings have been crowned with glory and honor. With this unique nature and value, we are empowered before and beyond all of creation to live with confidence in God and our relationship with him and clarity with the purpose of our lives that he has for us. However, it's not that simple, is it? In our first parents, we don't just see glory, we also see shame. Though they were created and to relate to God, to reflect God, represent God, they exchanged the glory of God, the truth of God, for a lie. And we've done the same thing. And now, as Pastor J.R. Vassar has put it in his book, Glory Hunger, our greatest need is to have glory restored to us. Our greatest need is to have glory restored to us. See, and isn't it true we spend our lives searching for glory? We spend our lives longing for confidence and clarity. We spend our lives trying to relate and reflect and represent someone or something, but nothing satisfies. Nothing truly restores glory. And so we settle. And see, when we can't restore glory, when we can't restore lost glory, we settle for boasting. Boasting is the way we try to recapture lost glory. And the biblical idea of boasting comes from the battlefield. For instance, Goliath, perhaps you've heard his story. He's a giant, and though he was the prized warrior of the Philistine army, his overwhelming presence and his unblemished military record were not enough. When facing Israel on the battlefield, he boasted who he was was not enough. He had to come to battle and still talk smack. This is how the scene is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He, that's Goliath, stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out 
to draw up for battle. Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that he may fight, that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Goliath gloried in himself. Goliath found confidence and clarity in himself. Goliath related and reflected and represented himself. See, even when a young shepherd boy named David stepped out onto this uh, battlefield, the boasting continued. It elevated even. Suffice to say, we know the story. Suffice to say, it did not go well for Goliath. And history has not been kind to him. See, when we boast in ourselves, it does not go well for us either. A couple of weeks ago, a video surfaced and immediately went viral. During the offseason, a lot of professional football players uh, host mini camps or camps for uh, young amateur players so that they can improve their skills, high school, college, and even sometimes uh, younger. And one particular player who hosts one of these camps happens to be a free agent, just meaning that he's still part of the NFL but has not signed with a new team yet. He needs, needs a new job. He's a really good player and will likely sign very, very soon. But right now, he is not. And, and when this video was captured, he was not. And one of the young players in attendance knew that he was a free agent. And while the camera was rolling, he mocked him. You're a free agent. You're a free agent. You're a free agent. Now, that's not nice, and this kid should not have done that. That was not cool. But the professional NFL superstar had no reason to defend himself, but he was obviously disturbed and agitated. And he responded, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich. He could not cling to his profession. He didn't have a job, but he could still boast in his wealth to a 15-year-old. When we boast in ourselves, it does not go well. And it always, or rather, it never looks good. See, boasting is our sinful attempt to restore lost glory. For the follower of Jesus, then Paul teaches us today, here's what we need to learn today. Boasting is excluded. So let's look, Romans chapter 3, verse 27. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. These are the very words of God, and we say thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as always, we're, we're going to need your help. We desire to follow you and to obey, and yet I, can, I already know in my heart there is such a tendency to boast and to glory in myself. And so I pray whatever uh, grip on my heart and my mind, uh, pride, arrogance, hubris, ego has, Father, that leads me to boasting, would you strip those things away today? Would you un un unlock that grip? And I pray that for my sisters and brothers as well. I pray, Father, that where there is pride at war or even enslaving them, that you today would do that great work by your Spirit 
you'd illuminate through the scriptures your truth and your beauty, and that simply by your power, by your might, by your will, that you would make us a humble people, a people in the likeness of Jesus, your son. And so help me today, God, help me to be clear, help me to be responsible with your word and help all of us. Father, as your word is proclaimed over us, would we not just be hearers of the word, but doers? And would you even change us on the spot, change the composition and structure of our hearts and our minds and our very beings by the nature and power of your word? We trust you, we look to you in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed and said, amen. Romans is a book of the Bible written by the Apostle Paul to Christians in the first century city of Rome, a text that we've been looking at for some time now. And in his primary audience are both Jews and Gentiles, meaning Jews, an ethnic group of God's people, Jews and also non-Jews, or Gentiles, a collective of every other nation. And Paul has just concluded a powerful uh, exposition treatise on God's righteousness as revealed through the death of Jesus Christ in, in that, that paragraph that precedes this verse in verses 21 through 26. And what follows is Paul's further explanation or even exposition of that passage and its implications for his readers, both Jews and Gentiles. And he begins with faith. Faith, faith humor was a focus of verses uh, 21 through 26, and we consider that in detail last week. But it's also the main theme of every paragraph within this next section of the letter. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 27, which we're beginning today, all the way through chapter 4, verse 25. Throughout this new movement, faith is contrasted and compa or compared with various expressions of life and belief. Works of the law, works in general, circumcision, the law, and sight. And, and, but starting here in verse 27, Paul is juxtaposing faith with boasting. Faith with boasting. Now, I think at first blush, we may, that may strike us as a bit of an odd comparison. How exactly are faith and boasting in tension with one another? This is usually not, not two ideas that we commonly pit against one another. But let's notice the transitional language. Look at that word, the very beginning of verse 27. It's the word then. Then. That, that word specifically signifies a direct connection between what Paul is about to say and what Paul has just said in verse 26. And what has he just said? Well, look at it with me, verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has, what does it say? Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. And, and then, then Paul asks, what becomes of boasting? Or if God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, what becomes of boasting? Let's keep pressing this home. If God is love, if God is justice and has done everything to save you and transform you by grace through faith, then what do you have to boast about? What do I have to boast about? And Paul fortunately answers his own question. Nothing. It's excluded. There is nothing to boast about if God has done all the work if he is just and the justifier. But there's more to it even than that. Contextually, there is a lot more going on with the comparison of faith and boasting within the fullness of what Paul is saying in his letters. See, remember, Paul's readers were incredibly prone to boasting. Gentiles in their freedom, Jews in their obedience. 
See, Paul's readers believed they had a ton of reasons to boast. And, and each of their sort of respective ways of boasting, both Gentiles and Jews, reveals the ways or reveal the ways that they attempt to restore lost glory. And if we could look back and, and read and consider Romans chapter 2, we'd see a propensity of some of Paul's readers to lean into lawlessness and others into legalism. You see, Paul's Gentile readership was tempted to boast in their freedoms because they were not under the law. The Jews were tempted to boast in the law, or more precisely, their obedience to the law because they had been given the law. See, but, but we might even bring it home to our own hearts today. We might apply it to ourselves in our time this way. That's that some of you, some of us, in, in the middle even of Christian community and comparing yourselves with one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, may, may look or boast in yourself, look how free I am. Look at the things that I can do with, because of freedom in Christ. Things that I understand, things that I see, things that I know. A comfort level I have with, with freedom and being in Christ that other people don't have. While others of us might say, look how committed I am. Look how faithful I am compared to all of these people. They're claiming it's freedom, but they're really sinning. Look how committed and faithful I actually am. See, in both cases, in each case, we're really replaying these two uh, aspects of Paul's readership in Romans. This is who the letter of Romans was written to. In each case, what we are doing, just like them, is trying to restore our own glory through boasting in ourselves. And it's not only Paul's readers of Romans, but Paul himself in his own story demonstrates that he is not immune. He was not immune to the allure of self-glory. See, before Paul meets Jesus, he also thought he had a ton of reasons to boast in himself. In fact, turn to Philippians chapter 3, to the right, just a couple of books of the Bible. You'll go through First and Second Corinthians, and then you'll get to his epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. He says this, For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, as Paul says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, so he lists all of the reasons why he believed he could boast in himself. Not only that, but Paul's like, if anybody has reason to boast, I have more. Or in his own language, he says, I have confidence in the flesh. And he lists his spiritual credentials. See, boasting is our attempt to restore lost glory, to embrace any bit of an earthly sense of that glory we lost in the garden. And when we boast in ourselves, though, it doesn't go well. It didn't go well for Adam and Eve. It didn't go well for Goliath. It did not go well for this man on a viral video. And it does not go well for us. See, what Paul really discovered, or rather, probably a better way to put it, is what Paul encountered that changed his life, that altered his boasting, was someone who had more reason to boast than him. This is what forces us all to humility. See, when the logic of our boasting and pride are eclipsed by someone with greater and better reasons for boasting, we are humbled. This is what we built our lives on. This is how we were storing our glory. So in many respects, 
Glory feels like this zero-sum game that now is taken from us. This is especially true when that particular person who has more reason to boast in themselves chooses not to boast in themselves. It does something to us. In 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary and his Sherpa friend and guide Tenzin Norgay were the first men in recorded history to summit Mount Everest. Later that same year, Hillary was knighted, and in 1950, or rather 1985, he was made New Zealand's highest commissioner to India, Nepal, and Bangladesh. And in 1955, he received Brian, uh, Britain's highest honor that only 24 other human beings had received. In his book, Humilitas, uh, researcher and historian John Dixon recounts a story of, of Sir Edmund Hillary who in the middle of his fame, in the middle of his notoriety, as all of these things had happened to him and, and his reasons, if you will, for boasting could not have been higher, he goes to Everest to take pictures. He goes to the base of Everest to meet and greet uh, other climbers. And here's how Dixon records one particular moment as Hillary was there at the base of Everest. One of his many trips... Back to the Himalayas, he was spotted by a group of tourist climbers. They begged for a photo with the great man, and Hillary obliged. They handed him an ice pick so he would look the part and set up the photograph. Just then, another climber passed the group, and not recognizing the man at the center, strode up to Hillary saying, Excuse me, that's not how you hold an ice pick. Let me show you. Everyone stood around in amazed silence as Hillary thanked the man, let him adjust the pick, and happily went on with the photograph. Dixon went on to say, It doesn't matter how experienced that other climber was, his greatness was diminished by this intrusive presumption. We are repelled by pride. Edmund Hillary's greatness, however, is somehow enhanced by this humility. See, boasting does not restore glory. In fact, it reveals shame. When we try to recapture lost glory through, through boasting, it's as if we walk up to Jesus and say, let me show you. But what we see in the life of Jesus is a refusal to boast. He is humble. What we see in the cross is Jesus' refusal to boast in himself. He is humble. What we see instead is trust or faith in his father and humility. They go hand in hand. He is humble. This is why faith and boasting are pitted against one another because they are mutually exclusive. Paul tells us, for the one who has faith in Jesus, boasting is excluded. Consider this from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, em he, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What we who are in Christ have discovered, or rather what we have encountered, 
that has changed our lives, what has eradicated and made boasting so ridiculous is that on the cross, we see the humility of Jesus, the one who had more reason to boast in than anyone else who ever lived, who was himself God, instead humbles himself in obedience, in death. And Paul says, even death on a cross. And what does Paul go on to say in Philippians chapter 2? That therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus is glorified, that Jesus' glory is restored. Through Jesus, glory is restored, but not through boasting, through humility. You see, while boasting reveals shame, cosmic humility restores glory. Glory, church, is restored through the humility of Jesus Christ. Now, everyone wants to be humble, right? I mean, we see this picture of Jesus and we're like, dope, that's what I want to be like. As as, uh, Dixon puts it, we are all repelled by pride. Nobody looks at an arrogant person and says, that's who I want to be like. We may want the things that a person has, but we don't want the inherent quality of arrogance. But desiring humility and actually being humble are very different. And please know, I am coming to this personally, not as an expert in humility, but as an expert in pride. I am not a humble man. And I don't say that sort of tongue in cheek. I I say that because this has been one of the things in my life that the Lord, through my wife, through our elder team, through others, have constantly and graciously brought to my attention that I might see my own pride. And so I, I, I cannot say to you, I'm a humble man. I can say by God's grace, I'm more humble today than I was 10 years ago. But this continues to persist in my soul. And so I know that it is easy to desire humility. It is a hard road to become humble because we've got to face our boasting. We've got to look at the things that we glory in in our own hearts. See, there is a work that must take place for the grip of pride and boasting to truly be turned over and transformed into humility and boasting, not in ourselves, but in the Lord. See, for Paul, it took blindness and a physical encounter on the Damascus Road. That's when he encountered Christ. And it resulted in Paul not just desiring to become humble, but admitting and naming the ways that he boasted. He confessed specific sins of pride and of boasting in himself in Philippians chapter 3. See, before Christ, he boasted in his spiritual commitment. He boasted in his ethnic heritage. He boasted in his religious zeal. He boasted in his holy living. But when he encountered Christ, he admits and even names, he brings all of this into the light and even outlines them as part of the scriptures in his address to the Philippian church. So when he asks his Roman readers what becomes of boasting, it's excluded. He is not merely speaking theologically. Paul is speaking experientially. His story is transformational. From one who was trying to restore glory through boasting in himself to one who has been humbled by the glory of Christ. From one who esteemed himself to one who esteemed Christ. 
from one who killed Christians to one who became one, from one who denied the words of God to one who wrote the very living words of God. So we do well. We do well to follow Paul as he follows Christ in admitting and naming and confessing, not just generally that we are prone to boasting, but the specific ways we try to restore lost glory. See, we might think that we're free from pride because we don't like boasting, we don't like pride. But as uh, Humilitas, that book really helped me to understand, is that we are naturally, naturally repelled by boasting and pride, yet we still do it all the time. We may not like it, but we cannot get away from it. We are wound up in boasting and ego and hubris and pride. And so it, it's actually through this, this ongoing practice of confession, confessing our sins, that boasting in many ways gets dismantled and reworked away from self and toward Christ. See, when we confess our sin, we demonstrate and we even do, do this work by God's Spirit of being unbound by the things that we boast in. That's where good news is found. See, by confessing the ways we seek to restore glory on our own, glory can actually be restored in us through humility. So, how do you boast? What do you boast in? I think there are a few ways for us to consider, a few categories, if you will, that I merely give to you and invite you to bring to the Lord and ask for his help to see what it is that, that you may be boasting and wrestle in your groups with them. Speak with your spouse, talk with your children. Your children know what you boast in. Your spouse knows what you boast in, where you find your assurance, where you find your hope. Your group is getting a picture of that the more that you do life together. What do you boast in? Well, three categories I hope that will be helpful. We boast in our possessions, we boast in our identity, and we boast in our ability in what we own, in who we are, and what we can do. First, we boast in our possessions. We boast in the things that, that we own, that we possess, that, that we believe sort of give us power. Now, I might imagine this sounds silly a little bit because few of us are going to yell at a teenager, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich, I hope. But we do find security and worth and purpose in what we own. It may not be money or things, but, but something about possession and the things that we possess tell us that we are safe, that we are special, that we are strong. That's boasting. It may not be a, an audible expression, but it is an inward trust and faith and belief that the things I own make me safe, make me special, make me strong. We boast in them. We try to reclaim lost glory through them, through what we own. God, help us in this. Secondly, if it's not possessions, it, it may be identity, that we boast in who we are. And this is, this is really tricky because we are more vocal about our pride in, in our country or our ethnic heritage or in our family. We, we post things about this. We honor these things in the daylight. But there is a fundamental difference between being grateful and even being proud of who we are and believing that who you are makes you better or more important than someone else who is different than you. See, there is a difference between being grateful and being aware, being proud in who you are. It's, there's a difference between that and boasting in those things as if those things are where your glory is found. 
See, we're tempted to center our own identity and boast in ourselves and who we are. We try to restore lost glory through who we are. God, help us with this. Thirdly, not only possessions, not only in our identity, but also in our ability that we can be tempted to boast in what we can do. And I think this is what makes Hillary's story so jarring to many of us. See, that his ability far exceeded anyone and everyone's who could have possibly been at the base of Everest that day, especially this Jack who came and turned, you know, that uh, pick the right way, right? So yet he refused, Hillary did, to boast in his own ability. And many of us are really competitive, aren't we? We can't stand for anyone to think that they are better than us or that someone is better than us at something. It drives our relationships. It motivates us at work. In fact, many times we can't even enjoy a sporting event unless we got money riding on the line and someone else does so we can show that we've got the insight that they don't have. But boasting in our ability never captures the glory that we seek. Someone is always better than us. Something always happens to us that puts us in a position where we realize we can't work our way out of this on our own power. See, we try to restore glory through what we can do. We say, God, help us with this. See, we try to restore glory in in these different kinds of ways, in our possessions, in our identity, in our ability, in what we possess, in who we are, in what we can do. My sister, my brother, we need to take these things to the Lord. How do you restore, how do you try to restore the lost glory? How are you tempted to boast in yourself? What do you trust the most? Your possessions, your identity, your ability. See, these feeble objects of boasting are excluded in Christ. They are excluded. And please notice, I think that, real talk, I think that some of us are really comfortable with like a side hustle of sin. Like, like we, we think that God is sort of like, give me most of your boasting. You can keep a little bit for yourself. And, and that we think that if we just give him most of our boasting, most of our sin through confession, then he's going to be like, wow, that's an incredible job that you're doing. You're giving me almost everything. That, I know that's hard. So well done. Well done. <laughs> right? That, that somehow God doesn't hate sin. And know that sin actually crushes and kills and harms and wounds us. And so we think that he is really impressed if we give him most of our worship, most of our praise, most of the glory, most of our boasting. But what does the text say? Romans chapter 3 verse 27. It is excluded. There's none of it. If you are in Christ, there is no room for boasting in none of your ability, in none of your identity, in none of your possessions. We don't keep sin as a side hustle. We lament and we are broken and we confess and we name our sin in the ways that we boast in glory in ourselves. Why? Because God in Christ possesses infinitely more than us. Because God in Christ is someone greater than we could possibly be. He is God. And because God can do infinitely more than us. And yet, the one who has more than us, the one who is more than us, the one who could do more than us, never boasted in himself. Instead, he died on a cross with no possessions, considered a fraud, and seemingly impotent. Now, here's where religion comes in. 
religion comes in and just says, just stop boasting. Religion just tells us, just, just be humble. And, and many of us, that's our response. Like, ah, oh, you're right. I need to be more humble. I need to stop boasting myself. I'm, tomorrow, I'm going to stop boasting. Tomorrow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing it right. But that's not the gospel. That's religion. Look again at Romans chapter 3, verse 27. So if you're still in Philippians, go back to the left. Then what becomes a boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. See, boasting is excluded, but not through the principle or the law of works. In other words, not by your own effort. Not, not by, you don't exclude boasting by just saying, okay, I'm going to stop boasting. I'm, I'm, or I'm going to start boasting in the Lord and less in myself. It's not just a decision that you make. Boasting is excluded through the law of faith. That's what Paul says. That's what the Bible teaches us. We do not find glory by no longer boasting, by, by just getting rid of a bad thing. Or to put it another way, humility is not the same as not boasting in yourself. Humility manifests and glory is restored when boasting takes place in the right things. Glory is restored when we boast in someone who is actually glorious, when we encounter him. That's what Paul experienced on the Damascus Road. And that's what we witness on the cross. Jesus nails our self-boasting to the cross. Therefore, we can and we should and we must, church, boast in him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What's Paul saying to the Corinthian church? You have no reason to boast. I have no reason to boast. In the presence of God, we have nothing to say. It says elsewhere, every mouth is stopped. In the presence of God, every mouth is stuck. We've got nothing to say. He goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, because of sin, none of your possessions, no identity and no ability could ever save you, nor could it sustain your righteousness. Our boasting cannot restore the glory that we lost in the garden. It always and only leads to shame. But 1 Corinthians says this, because of him, you are in Christ. In other words, Jesus has restored our glory. And so we who boast, boast and ought to boast and rightly boast and are able to boast in the Lord because we are in 
Christ. And we boast in the Lord. Why? Because though he died with no possessions, he rose the treasure of heaven. We boast in the Lord because though Jesus died considered a fraud, he rose proving he truly is the resurrection and the life. We boast in the Lord because though he died seemingly impotent, he rose proving there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There is nothing that will be impossible for God. There is no one like him. There is no one before him. There is no one beside him. There is no one behind him. There is one God above all things. This is why we boast in him. And so by faith, he can surely provide all that you need. We are his possession. By faith, he makes us sons and daughters of the living God. Jesus is our identity. And so by faith, he empowers us to obey the spirit. Jesus' will becomes our own. See, here's the deal, church. Every sinful reason you find to boast is misplaced. It's misplaced. If, if you have this pain, this desire to boast in what you possess, praise the Lord. He gave it to you. If you have this desire to boast in your identity, boast in Christ. He made you who you are. If you have this desire, this, this pull to boast in your ability, thank God. Boast in Jesus. He is the one who has empowered you. See, and even in a conversation that you want to turn back to yourself so you can talk about yourself, and I know that feeling well, we turn the conversation to Christ because it's him we boast in. It's him that we esteem. It's him that we glorify. This is why faith and boasting are pitted against one another. If you don't have faith in Jesus, then what he provides or rather, when he provides what we need and, and he makes us who we are, if we don't believe this, that he empowers us, what we do, if we don't believe in that, then we demonstrate a prideful faith in ourselves. We're boasting. You see, boasting in ourselves is faith in ourselves. Boasting in Jesus is faith in Jesus. Or as Paul put it, that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And this goes beyond gratitude. More than just being thankful for the things that I have, for who I am, and for what I can do. To boast in Christ is to be decentered from our stories. To boast in Christ is to be crucified with Christ because humility and humility alone leads to glory. Jesus' own humility leads to to glory. It leads to exaltation. That's Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 that we looked at earlier, that therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. See, faith in Jesus ultimately is what makes us humble. Faith in Jesus means boasting in him. He is the one who restored lost glory. So we need not labor to restore that glory by, by some law of works, not through our possessions, not through our identity, not through our ability. You see, I think every day an amateur football player comes up to you and says, you're a free agent, you're a free agent, you're a free agent. The evil one or one of his minions or, or even just the brokenness that, that speaks out of the, the depths of our own sinful condition and fallenness speak to us. You'll never make it. Your dad was right about you. 
You're not a good mom. You don't have what it takes. You're terrible at your job. There's no way you can overcome that addiction. There's no way that you'll never not sin that way. That's who you are. See, in our boasting and in our pride, I think we speak back to that voice. They say, I'm rich. I, I, I'm better than what my dad said about me. I am a good mom. I am a good parent. I can do a good job. I, I can overcome that addiction. I'm not that sin. And we, and we sort of, without even thinking about it, we might even mean well within our own consciousness, try to build and boost and, and boast in ourselves. But when we boast in Christ, we actually agree with that voice. You're right. I am broken. I am a wretch. That is true about me. I have no reason to boast. I'm not a good parent. I don't have what it takes. I don't know the right thing to do. You're right. You're absolutely right. But Jesus saved me. Jesus made me his own. Jesus says that I'm his possession. Jesus says that, I, that I'm his, that he made me a son or daughter of the Most High God. He says that greater is, is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So I don't care what you say about me, father of lies. I know the father of truth. I don't care what you whisper in my ear about my brokenness. He's reclaimed me. I don't care what you whisper in my ear about what I have or what I don't have. I'm his. I don't care what you say, who I am or who I'm not. I'm his. I don't care what you say I can or cannot do because he, he is alive and well within me, bringing about his good and pleasing and perfect will despite me. Church, can you even imagine? Oh, God, help us. Can you even imagine if we boasted like that? But the evil one has no foothold in my heart and in yours that what we hear is the Father's voice and we trust him. See, this is why boasting and faith are different. Because those who have faith in God boast in him. Don't spend your life searching for glory. Boast in Christ. Don't spend your life trying to find confidence and clarity in yourself, boast in Christ. Don't spend your life relating and reflecting and representing someone or something else or yourself. Boast in Christ. Because when we boast in Christ, we will see the glory of God, not simply revealed in our hearts, but revealed in our time, revealed in our families, revealed in our neighborhoods, and in our, in our city, and in our, our country, and in our, in our world, we'll see the glory of God come in the fullness of the person and work of Jesus Christ, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, becoming a servant, becoming obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross, and the God, the God who is, who is highly now exalted him. See, the one who is humbled is exalted. The one who boasts in Christ will see their glory restored in him. God, help us to believe this. Help us to boast in Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.